This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we're going to answer all of your health questions today. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today is a live program. I am here in the studio, um, anxiously awaiting your questions. And uh, today we're going to uh, look at some of the topics we've covered in in the past year uh, and also expand upon those a little bit. So we're going to kind of have some fun in this last show for 2018 going to start by giving you the phone numbers, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also reach me at info at alessimd.com. One thing I don't talk a lot about of the podcast, uh, I have to be honest with you, since uh, Intercom has kind of taken over our station here, the podcasting uh, and the publication of those has become so much better. And you can get it. You go to Apple uh, Podcasts there and iTunes and just get it for free. And all our shows go up. Usually on uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, you can get to any of our programs through a podcast. Um, so it's always good to do. And also, by popular demand, I'm going to be playing the interview I did last week with Father Rick Frechette in in Haiti. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about a lot is kind of globalization of medicine and kind of globalization of the economy. You know, so many people are spending a lot of time talking about nationalism, how we need to become more nationalistic, when actually when you look at medicine and science and the things we talk about on this program, it really becomes more of a global discussion. Case in point is this day in medicine, December 29, 1919, is the day Sir William Osler died. Now, Sir William Osler is often described as the father of medicine. And why he's the father of modern medical medicine, I should say modern medical medicine, um, was because in 1888, he actually became the first physician-in-chief of Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Uh, One thing worth correcting. I hear a lot of people call it John Hopkins. It's not one person's names. It's two people's names. So it's Johns, with an S, Hopkins University and their School of Medicine. Why it's global is Sir William Osler was Canadian. He was born in Canada, raised in Canada, educated in Canada, and yet became really one of the fathers of modern American medicine. While at Johns Hopkins in the School of Medicine, he brought over the German system for training physicians. And this is something I didn't know until today, that our system of an internship, a one-year internship, followed by several years of residency in an area of specialization, was from Germany. And that has become the standard in this country for training physicians. That's why it takes so many years to become a doctor is because you have all these years placed in your training and what has become really a phenomenal system to train the best physicians worldwide. 
He also wrote a book called The Principles and Practice of Medicine in 1892. And that textbook was the Bible for medicine. For it looked back at 50 years prior to its publication and was the standard for at least 40 years after. But it is the classic text. So again, when we look at medicine, we're not looking at, hey, this is an American thing. We've done great things with the system, but we've learned from other countries. So William Osler is a Canadian. He took a German system, and we adapted it to an American culture. And that's how we make great strides in medicine. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that when we talk about some specific problems in medicine. And uh, those things being something like stroke. And we'll talk about that in the next segment at some length. Some things that have come up that I think have to be of concern as we look toward the new year. Uh, One of those is medical debt. Uh, I read this week about a company called uh, RIP Medical Debt. This is an interesting company. It's a Rye-based, Rye, New York-based nonprofit And they take money from donors to eliminate crushing medical debt that really threatens. I mean, millions of Americans are threatened. Their well-being is threatened by the fact that they owe hospitals and doctors and institutions debt. So these fellows came, a couple of guys here, Jerry Ashton and and his colleagues. They went out, uh, Craig Antico and Jerry Ashton. This is interesting. They were in the debt business. And here's what debt collectors do. What they do is they go out and buy portfolios of past due bills, and they pay pennies for that. And what they do as a debt collector is you paid pennies for this. Now you try to collect as much as you can on those debts. Instead, what these guys decided to do was start a nonprofit. So they do the same thing. They go out and buy all this debt for pennies and then forgive it. So they go out and get donations, and they're able to settle it. So, for example, instead of sending a hounding letter saying, you know, we're going to take your firstborn if you don't pay the bill, they send letters announcing that the debt has now been forgiven. For example, a $10 donation can eliminate $1,000 in in a long delinquent debt. They've now resolved, erased $475 million in debt for more than a quarter of a million people. So that's really taking action in this. So people have been donating money to them. They go out, get rid of people's debt. Imagine getting that letter that this debt, this burden that you've had after a serious illness. And and some of the stories are heartbreaking, really. Uh, You know, when you get sick, you can't work. You start building up debt. and, And it gets worse and worse. Not just, you know, your car payments and things such as that. You've now got medical debt to deal with or a member of your family becomes ill. So uh, a great thing, but again, speaks to the issue of why are we not in a universal health care system? Why are we not? Why is health not a government supported item? Well, it's government supported now, but to one of the most inefficient ways, the United States is so well-known. We do so many scientific things, but we're on the cutting edge of medical science. 
Yet we haven't figured out how to deliver that science to our people, to our citizens. And until we solve that, we're really in trouble here. So again, uh, that's one thing. The other thing is another article that showed up this week was retirees at GE um, thought they were going to get taken care of forever. And now they're in trouble like everybody else. GE's in trouble and their retirees are in trouble. So suddenly their supplemental coverage is gone. So once you qualify for Medicare, that's what you got. The only thing extra they're getting is $1,000 to help with some of their co-pays a year. Many of these people feel that that's reneging on a promise. And GE always promised that come to work for us, you'll never have to worry about anything. I have to tell you, that frame of thinking is gone. I don't think young people think that way anymore, that you went to work in the factory, you did it till you were 65, and the company was going to take care of you. Not happening in this day and age, nor in this economy. And I think retirees are starting to feel that crunch and also feel that They've been led astray to some degree. So with that, um, I'm going to give you the numbers again, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back to answer some questions that have come in at the info at alessimd.com. When we get those, uh, we'd love to get your questions. going to talk a little bit about those. Also going to talk about an article that appeared this week in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about the worldwide risk of stroke. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're taking your questions here on Healthy Rounds on this live program today, our last program for the year 2018, and we have Sandy on the line who has a question about a yearly physical. Sandy, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, doctor. Good morning. Mm-hmm. I um, went for a physical, and it's happened to me the time before. Um, the, I thought um, a physical is a physical exam, but all the doctor did was go through my labs, which which I could have done on the phone. She All she did was listen to my chest. No pelvic, nothing, nothing else. And I'm wondering, do I have to do a, is a physical, not a physical, like we know it? How weird is that? I mean, no, because I've had the same experience, actually, um, that in some cases, the physical is more of an interview uh, than anything looking at your labs. And I think that's a new trend uh, in some cases because, you know, we always think of the yearly physical as somebody putting their hands on you. And instead, it's almost like a yearly interview or update in many respects uh, in terms of looking at EKG, making sure you're getting the annual things done like a flu shot, pneumonia shot if you need it, up to date on your colonoscopy and things such as that. So I've had a variety of experiences myself with the annual physical. Um, this year, my annual physical, my physician retired, went to a new physician, and uh, it was probably the most thorough physical, I mean, hands-on physical I'd ever had. So I understand what you're saying, Sandy. Uh, I yeah. think that's a trend in primary care where the annual physical uh, in someone who is healthy uh, doesn't have a lot of medical problems. I have to assume that you're generally healthy. 
um, yes. and take care of yourself, uh, that the physical really becomes more of an interview and discussion of your health and yeah. look at the basic annual things as opposed to someone who has chronic heart disease, diabetes, and other problems that really demand uh, a a more in-depth, hands-on physical examination. Yeah. Well, doctor, I um, my my history, my pa- my mom uh, had diabetes, and um, and uh, my dad died of a stroke. So I de- the doctor is she's new to me, and uh, you figure she'd want to get a little hands-on. And I figure, you know, I could have done this at home on the phone. So I'm figuring I have to change doctor. And it just seemed like doctor shopping to see someone who has a genuine, like what we call for a term, old time, what I'm used to, you know? Well, again, with your past history, they're going to want to look at your lab work, uh, do a fasting and postprandial blood sugar that are going to be more indicative of diabetes than touching you. But you know what I would do? I would ask that doctor. I would, rather than switch doctors, I would talk to the doctor and say, listen. And now if they insist and say, hey, this is the way I do things or, or hit the road, then you hit the road. But yeah. I would I would bring that up with the doctor. Say, listen, I'm a little less comfortable with the idea that I would like you to examine me. Okay? Yeah. Weird, but anyhow. Yeah. All right. But I'm glad you go for an annual physical. That's great to hear. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for Have the call. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, the annual physical. So it, it, it it's changing from that standpoint. Um, I'm glad she does go for an annual physical. One of the calls I had uh, actually this week was about headache. And it, it's a topic we've covered on the show to some degree, especially with respect to migraine. Uh, one, of, uh, my, one of my favorite guests here on the show is Dr. Tanya Bilchik, who will be coming back with us. Uh, I think we have a show in February with Dr. Bilchik. But the the question in the email was regarding headaches that begin in the neck. Uh, this person has headaches, has a bad neck in terms of, has a lot of arthritis and has had chronic neck pain, but now has headaches that they describe as a pressure-like headache, like your head is in a vice. The, the pain comes up from the neck, radiates anteriorly, or the front of the head, and just you feel like you have a tight hat on all the time. So this is a little bit different in terms of when we think of migraine headaches, we think of headaches that last between 4 and 72 hours. Usually these headaches are pulsating, thrombing. They're on the side of your head, uh, near your eyes, and accompanied by things like nausea or some vomiting. Um, people become very sleepful. Uh, they change their behavior with a migraine headache. In this type of headache, it's really this pressure-like headache that begins in the neck, often seen in association with arthritis in the neck. Important, again, to get x-rays of the neck or even more advanced studies, CT or MRI. But the treatment is somewhat different because we believe that the trigger in the neck is from inflammation. Therefore, medications like ibuprofen, naproxen, uh, if people can take those, really work well for that type of headache. The other thing that helps, and this is really old school, is to put ice or something warm on the back of the neck. 
So people always ask me, do you go with ice or do you go with warm? You go with what works. In some cases, people feel that that coolness really helps the headache. So again, that, that becomes extremely helpful overall. So it's important to see your physician and if necessary, a neurologist to make sure you differentiate in the type of headache you're having so that you can better approach the treatment. And, and treatment may be somewhat uh, simple from that standpoint. Uh, one thing that's come up, we've been following this, and this has been acute flaccid myelitis. Acute flaccid myelitis is this condition that is a polio-like condition that is attacking young people. Average age four, it has now affected 480 people in the United States alone. And this results in severe paralysis, much like polio, wasting of a limb or more than one limb. Some people recover to some degree, but others have died. So again, this is a new problem, and we don't know what it's caused by. People are saying it's a virus, it's a, an enterovirus, a GI virus, but no one knows. So my question has been, why aren't we finding out? And, and there was an article this week published because cash-strapped public health services toil to find the polio-like illness cause. My goodness, this was a shock to me. So we have now cut back funding to the people who monitor the public health of our country to the point where we're struggling to find out what illness is paralyzing our children. We're missing the boat here. This is what we pay taxes for. Okay, this is we don't pay taxes for shutdowns. We don't pay taxes for exorbitant flights and other expenses. We pay taxes for safety and health. And apparently our health is being ignored to some degree. So I'm I'm concerned about the public health of our country when I read things like we're not able to find out the cause of something that's paralyzing our children. And I think we need to stay on our elected officials, our senators, our congressmen, our president, and make sure we remind them of why they are there. And they are there to provide safety and better health for all of us who pay their salaries. Another study that came up this week was with mercury. And the reason this is a little bit of a topic that's near and dear to my heart, because I spent time studying this when I was at the University of Michigan with my mentor, Jim Albers. And Dr. Albers and I looked at the toxicity of mercury affecting the nervous system, resulting in dementia, results in neuropathy in people who are exposed. So I was shocked to find out that we have rolled back the Environmental Protection Agency requirements on emitting mercury into the environment from coal-burning units, right? So coal, so industrial coal burning to produce utilities has been cut back dramatically under previous administrations. This administration has decided that it's okay to start burning coal again. And the stacks that were lined with mercury and emit mercury into the environment don't have to come down. Again, big problem. 
So here we are in America where we have the best science and we start to know things that pollute our, our global environment, but we're going to let these people slide. Not good. So again, health collides with politics uh, to some degree. With that, we're going to take a short break now, and then I'm going to be back. I'm going to talk a little bit about the new year, kind of things we need to start doing to get ready for the new year. And then I'm going to play the interview last week that's backed by popular demand uh, that I did with my good friend, Father Rick Frechette, um in Haiti. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds, and uh, this is our last show of the new year. Um, and uh, we're going to grab a question. Uh, Max, we have Jeff on the line uh, from Newington. Jeff, you had a question. Yeah, I was just going to talk a little bit about the physicals. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, both a consumer and I'm also a primary care physician. Great. You know, there's a few answers to this. Um, if it's a Medicare patient with straight Medicare, often they think they're coming for a physical, but they're coming for what Medicare calls the annual wellness visit. Okay. And the annual wellness visit is a series of uh, questions about if you're depressed and if you fall down and if you need help with your activities of daily living and if you have substance abuse. Right, the big brother questions. And it has nothing to do with touching you. Okay. But a lot of patients think they're coming for their physical when they're coming for their annual wellness visit. Great point. That's not something I knew about. Um, Medicare, traditional Medicare only covers one physical the first year you sign on. And after that, they do not cover any other physicals. So who covers the physicals then? Is it well, only if, if you you're have, sick? Yeah. If they... Traditional Medicare provides preventive health in the form of a mammogram and a PSA and a colonoscopy, a pap smear, but they do not cover any other preventive health other than your annual wellness interview, so to speak. Wow. How sad is that? Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. But if you have managed Medicare, like United Healthcare Medicare, Anthem Medicare, they cover physicals. So so it's advisable to try and use managed Medicare or at least have a supplemental. Suppose you have Medicare and you have a supplement you purchase um, other than there managed are, Medicare. Very few of the supplements cover a physical. Most hmm. of the supplements will only cover 20% of what Medicare paid 80% for and 20% of zero is zero. Wow. Jeff, listen, thank you for the call. That was uh, very hey. instructive for all of us. Tony, one more point. Sure. Um, I've run into uh, my doctor retired, and the one who replaced him uh, was horrible. The medical <laughs> students I teach could have done a better job. So always you have to be, as a consumer, right? You have to look at it and be willing to change providers. I did. Well, I'm glad. I absolutely to. did, and I recommend that they fire that, that guy that came in. I think some of the younger docs that have come in are just not as well-trained as we were, you know. They know how to read an MRI. You and I may have a little struggle. We had to learn that later. But the um, new ones, you know, they're not taught well on how to do it at physical examination. Well, that, uh, you know. We, that's it, why you and I can't retire. That's it. No retirement here, Jeff. 
Hey, listen, thanks for the call. Okay. Take, take care, care, man. Bye-bye. Um, so that was Jeff. Uh, and uh, very interesting, in, apropos to uh, our question earlier about physical examinations and the variety. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to make sure I mentioned to everybody um, since we're coming up on the new year. One of the big things is it's not too late to get a flu shot. 80,000 people died last year from the flu. It's important not only to get the flu shot, but to avoid the flu. Wash your hands, especially if you're out at parties, you're getting ready for New Year's, people want to hug, they want to kiss, try to avoid it, okay, because somebody there you know has got the flu. Wash your hands, be very careful of what you do and how you dress and are exposed. Um, these are very important things overall, and they do avoid death. People are dying in this country from the flu. So get the flu shot. Um, the other thing for the new year is um, everybody's getting ready for their resolutions. Make sure one of your biggest resolutions is good health. Um, with that, um, uh, we have uh, – okay, so we have a couple of calls. I'm going to try and grab them um, right now. We have uh, Chris from West Hartford. Chris, you're on. Hi, hi, Dr. Leslie. Yeah, I just uh... – <laughs> wanted to uh, kind of add a quick exp explanation on the uh, if you have Medicare Advantage, like I had it with Aetna, sure. uh, the, the other company, Medicare Advantage will cover an annual physical, even though Medicare itself only covers the wellness right. exam. Right. And Jeff said that. Managed Medicare. So managed Medicare does cover it. Yes. Uh, yes. As... It's, it's covered and, and uh, it's it's. It's called Medicare Advantage. I have the $0 premium plan, which is fantastic. Uh, the doctor actually gets paid better under my plan than he did previously when I was on uh, uh, before Medicare. So it's, uh, it's a good plan, and uh, I get my annual physical, and, and the, uh, the nurse practitioner goes over through everything with me. Okay. Everything. Yeah. Now, do you only get that from a nurse practitioner, or are you entitled to also see a doctor for the same well, service? I, I could see a doctor. Okay. But but they said you know uh, he's the, the nurse practitioner uh, is is uh, under the supervision of the doctor, and she's very good. She, okay. She's very that gives a very good thorough physical, and she gets my labs done in the whole nine yards. Great, great to hear somebody's happy with it. So Medicare Advantage sounds good. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Chris. We're going to grab one more question. This will be our last question before we wrap it up here. Facility fees on outpatient. Kate, you had a question. Yes, I do, uh, Dr. Lissing. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I recently visited a wound clinic affiliated with one of the hospitals here in Hartford, and I had three appointments. The first appointment, the facility fee, was $275. The second appointment... I was billed eight hundred and one dollars, and the third one was two hundred and fifty three dollars and uh though insurance takes care of part of it, I do have my plan requires a two hundred and fifty dollar copay for the facility fee. but I learned from this that uh depends upon what room they put you in, whether they do anything more extensive than what they did on the first or third visit. doesn't matter. It's more or less what room you put in. So a facility fee is basically you're paying for real estate. 
Um, exactly. It's usually at, so you don't pay a facility fee if you go to a doctor's office. Right. Right. If you right. go to a hospital, so even an outpatient facility. So I work at the University of Connecticut, but I work in stores at an outpatient facility. Mm-hmm. So there is no facility charge. Okay. If you were to see me at the university or at Hartford Hospital or somewhere like that, there is a facility charge that goes on to Medicare and other insurance companies to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. So basically you're paying for the real estate and the sophistication of the room. It's got nothing to do with the amount of time you spent with the physician or the procedure done. Very interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, but that is the way this system is structured. And again, you're making a great point that this system needs to be revised and looked at the way we do things in this country. But can I ask you one question? Sure, go ahead. Uh, the second visit where I was charged $801 for the specialty treatment room, they did nothing different than they did in the first or the third I would uh, appointments. Call, I would call them up and argue the charge. I have tried to do that, and that's what I'm in the process of doing. But when I heard your program this morning, I thought, well, I'll call and see what your take is on it. My take is argue the point. They should have put you in. And before you go in the room, ask them what room they're putting you in the next time. How's that? It never occurred to me that they would be. It didn't occur to me either. So I'm learning a lot today. Kate, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Next up, we're going to replay my interview with Father Rick Frechette. I want to thank you all again for listening, and all your questions were great, educational for everybody, including myself. Thanks again. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back. Today is the 20th of December, 2018, and this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. I am in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, with Father Rick Frechette (laughs) in his office at St. Damien Hospital. And, um, Father, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Father, it's uh, now we're coming up on the ninth year since the earthquake, and more importantly, by my calculations, you've been living here for 31, 32 years in Haiti. Um, I think we'd all like your perspective on kind of the evolution of how things have changed here in Haiti um, over your period of time that you've been here, and especially since the earthquake. (coughs) The country runs by microeconomy, people uh, making and selling individual cigarettes, people selling individual drinks of water, people making sandals out of old tires. Uh, Microeconomy plus money that comes in from Haitians abroad for their families, that's really the base of how things work here. And it's been amazing how micro-economies have been re-established very fast after the time of the earthquake. It's as amazing as how little has been done in terms of rebuilding the country. But since the country survives on micro-economy, that's the invisible achievement that a visitor won't see. Somebody just driving through, flying through, rushing to the next place they're going. Uh, That's the real tribute to the uh, persistence and the strength and the ability of the Haitian people. Of course, microeconomy is not going to take you anywhere in life. It'll get you from today to tomorrow, 
but it's not going to put your children in college, and it's not going to give you a home that's safe when there are protections from bandits and things like that. But, you, you know, for surviving and being able to get one, from one day to the next, that's really extraordinary. I think that the, the truth is, in 31 years that I've been here, there are just no jobs. And this is absolutely the, the problem of the country with if people had work that was not exploitative, uh, that had advantages and came with opportunities for education and advancement, all other problems would be solved. But the problem is still the lack of work. Why is that, Father? I mean, after the earthquake, 150,000 people lost their lives. Um, the world paid attention to Haiti, yet we've not seen uh, a tremendous influx of money, and we've certainly not seen an influx of industry uh, uh, attempting to or attempting to work with the Haitian people. Um, these are hardworking folks here um, who are willing to put in a hard day's work. Why didn't that happen? There are a lot of very big questions related. Uh, for example, is it necessary for powerful countries that there be dysfunctional countries uh, in, order, in, order, in order to be able to function? And uh, uh, it, even if it's on the level of drugs and, and uh, whatnot, uh, different kind of mafia, uh, places where money can easily be laundered, places where toxic waste can easily be dumped, places where... Uh, Thomas Merton once said, there can't be a Hollywood without a Harlem. It's not possible. So this is really a big question of, in the way that the world is organized, unfortunately, is it so necessary for the world order that there be poor places in order for rich places to function well? It's, it's a good question. And if the, if the question is yes, then nothing is ever going to develop here because the factors are not here. Uh, aside from that, obviously there is will and ability of government. For example, you could put so many people to work here just restoring the ecology of the country, building retaining walls, planting trees, restoring agriculture. There, you would give so many jobs just trying to restore the ecology of this devastated place. Where are the big brains planning that? And where are the, where, where, which sources of revenue are they planning to do that? It doesn't happen. Uh, investment in education by the government is minimal. Imagine the amount of jobs you would give if the investment in education was enormous and you were employing three or four or five times as many teachers as you are now. Suppose the state invested in health care, serious investment in health care. Imagine the amount 
of jobs that there would be. These are important. I know all the focus is on factories, let's make baseballs, let's make napkins. I mean, most of that tends to be exploitative work, let's face it. That's just automation and you get some little bit of money and, and done. But these other uh, types of activities are restorative. They're restorative of health, they're restorative of intelligence, they're restorative of the earth. And, and uh, these, these things are needed. And the question is, why doesn't it happen? And then the question goes also to competence and will of people who are, who are in government. So I, I don't know why, Tony. I have no idea why. But the, I conjecture about these things because uh, somebody said to me once, uh, maybe it was true then, when Haiti had about 8 million people, now it has 12. Uh, we, New York City has that many people. Why can we manage New York City and why can't Haiti be managed, you know, with only 8 million people or 12 million people? I don't know the answer. I can only conjecture. But I know one thing. It's not because of lack of initiative or vision or will or hard work on the part of the Haitian person. Oh, I absolutely agree, Father. Uh, it's interesting. I think you've been judicious in saying, uh, using the word competence for leaders in Haiti. Yet, uh, when I ask Haitians about uh, changing things here, and they all use a word called corruption, um, and, and that's a problem in every government, I think. Um, Father, let's move a little <laughs> bit more focal to where we are now, to St. Damien and the St. Luke uh, programs. Um, clearly, things are always evolving here. And from my standpoint, it, it seems to be getting better and better in terms of the services you've been able to provide the Haitian people. But can you tell our listeners some of the challenges um, that continue and some of the new challenges that uh, face the mission here? Our newest enormous challenge is trauma. There's an organization that was doing trauma since the time of the earthquake that didn't stay or severely reduced what they were doing because it's not their mandate to permanently plant themselves in a country. They came because of the earthquake and they stayed a lot of years and they, they greatly reduced their service in order to uh, plan an exit strategy. And that's not replaced by anything. And uh, because we're well known, uh, certainly in Port-au-Prince, and we don't ask for money up front, we ask people to contribute what they can at the end. In other words, your help is not dependent on whether you have money in your pocket. Then uh, we're, we're getting a lot of these uh, terribly mauled people a gunshot and horrific accidents on the street and burns and falling off roofs and all kinds of things like that. And we have to act and uh, with minimal beds, with uh, almost no training, with certainly no budget, uh, we have to act. It's either act or death. So we've been very fortunate to be, to be getting training uh, from, especially from uh, friends at Notre Dame University, 
and the, the um, organizations tied to their outreach from Mayo Clinic in Arizona, from yourself. Uh, we're getting training in, in how to deal with this. Uh, we're scrambling to find help as to how to pay the bills. But it's a tremendous challenge because the, the, the problem in the country are lack of infrastructures. And by infrastructure, I even mean other hospitals that you can refer to, even if you're going to triage cases, other hospitals that you can refer to. In this country, you're almost on your own for everything. Uh, water, electricity, security, uh, for almost everything you're on your own. So this is a huge challenge for us right now, and we're doing our best to meet it, but I can tell you it's tiring and it's tragic, uh, and it's very sad. You know, I, I don't know if our listeners can understand really that it's hard to run what has now become a trauma center without a surgeon, uh, whether it be a general surgeon or an orthopedic <coughs> surgeon, and really that's what um, you've been trying to do uh, right along. Yeah, it's call-in surgeons, it's call them in, but of course there are delays for that. We can't afford to keep a surgeon just sitting around on staff. We can't, absolutely we can't afford it. But it's, it's not... It's not just the surgeon, it's all of the medicines, the, the equipment uh, that you need, which is specialized equipment. It's, it's, uh, it's the whole ball of wax that we're, we're up against. It certainly is, Father. Father, what's, what's the future from your standpoint here in Haiti? Beautiful, bright, wide open. We just have to keep working at it. Father, our, our listeners are always very generous. Uh, how can they help um, in terms of, you know, I, I always assure people that every penny you give comes right here and gets to the purpose uh, involved. And, and I know you don't like to talk about it, but, um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure here that has to be supported. Um, what can people do to help? org. S-T-L-U-K-E-H-A-I-T-I dot org. If you check out our website, there are ways, very clear ways of how to support us. And, and we'll talk more about it. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for everything you do um, for the Haitian people. And uh, thank you for being so generous to have me come here and spend a week with you. Well, thank you, Tony. And I thank your listeners. I hope you all appreciated that interview I did in Haiti a couple of weeks ago, um, and we played it again because of uh, popular demand. Several people wanted to hear it again. Uh, I think it brought home several important points for all of us as we come up on the new year. Um, I'd like to uh, give my many thanks to Dana Vitanza, who's been on the board today for Healthy Rounds. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. I also want to take this uh, time to thank all of our listeners and wish everyone a happy new year and especially a safe new year. I'd also like folks to really think a little bit more about their health and how they're going to promote better health in themselves so they could be more productive in the coming new year. Thank you all for being such loyal listeners in this past year. Please remember, you can help save lives by becoming an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Do that today. If you make any resolution today, 
get right on to registerme.org and become an organ donor. It's so important that you can give life to someone else. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.